Hey, it's Scott Petrak. Welcome back to another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. I'm joined again by Dave Chodowski of the WKYC Morning News. As Cleveland still <laughs> celebrates its success from last weekend, I'm still trying to recover from a busy NFL draft. Dave, I know you are too. What stood out to you from uh, the draft being in Cleveland this weekend? I got to tell you, Scott, another busy week with the Browns. What stood out to me was the amount of people downtown. And I know that if this would have been normal times and not a pandemic, there's no doubt in my mind Cleveland would have would have had even more people than uh, Nashville had. I think we all agree, agree to that. But I did not expect it to be as crowded as it was. I Just the sights on TV were incredible to think. And maybe part of that is just because it's been so long since we've seen something like that. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It, it, I was surprised at the number of people you saw on TV. I was down there before the draft, but I didn't go down during the draft because I was covering the Brown stuff from home. Uh, but I knew people were there. I kept getting texts from people and pictures from people that were down there. It looked incredibly crowded. And we're talking about weather was a factor Thursday and Friday, right? The rain Thursday, it was windy and cold Friday. And yet I still knew people that went down one or both days. Um, and it reminded me, and I think I said this, I did a, a Sunday night show with Nick Camino. Uh, and I, it just smacked me in the face again, how much people around here love football, right? And love their Browns because I don't think many other cities get what it wound up being 150,000, 160,000 people there for three days with bad weather coming out of a pandemic, which still affects people. I, I just don't think a lot of other cities draw nearly that attendance, which is why I, I think the NFL is coming back soon, Dave. I don't know if it's five years. I don't know if it's 10 years, but I was in an event that Roger Goodell spoke at Friday. And he said, we're looking forward to coming, or I'm looking forward to coming back, or we're looking forward to coming back. And I took that as the NFL draft. And I just think the NFL appreciates Cleveland's passion and feels like it wasn't a full draft given the pandemic and given the capacity limits that were put in place, that the NFL's going to do right by the city and come back. Now, again, I don't know if that'll be 2025 or 2030, you got a lot of other cities in line, but I think we're going to have another draft here relatively soon. Didn't we talk about that last week that we hoped that that would happen, that Cleveland would show up and it would be such a great event that they would want to come back because you feel like, and now that we've seen it happen, almost feels like Cleveland deserves another shot to have it where you can get full capacity and just blow away the amount of people that have ever been in a draft. And in Cleveland, did the NFL is solid, I think, you know, coming out of, uh, and we're still in the pandemic, but Cleveland really showed up in a big time way when the NFL needed it after going virtual last year. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I, I, I think Cleveland was in a tough spot, right? And for a variety of reasons. And I think it did more than held its own. And the NFL should recognize that because I'm not sure every city would have pulled it off. I mean, it seemed to be safe. You know, I'm not down there. I don't know if there's any incidents of, you know, people getting sick from it, but it seemed to be safe. It seemed like everything that the city put in place worked. Uh, the, the stage was great. I thought that looked good on TV. I thought the, 
the setup was good where you could see downtown. And then if they switched it, you could see the lake. Uh, the picnic tables I thought were cool. The outside food um, with the, you know, the taste of Cleveland kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was a tough spot for David Gilbert and the Cleveland Sports Commission and Destination Cleveland and all those areas. And then the city of Cleveland itself um, to pull this off because there wasn't a lot of time either, right? I mean, we're talking, the decision was, I talked to David Gilbert, I think it was after the Super Bowl, and the expectation was that the draft was still going to come here, but it wasn't guaranteed yet. Um, you know, and that was only three and a half months ago. So uh, I, I think everybody did a good job in getting it up and running, trying to keep it as safe as they could. And, you know, the NFL is touting this as kind of a welcome back to, you know, what we've been saying it for a year, quote unquote normalcy, right? There's a big step on the biggest event since the pandemic it the NFL hopes it opens a door to full stadiums in the fall um so yes Cleveland should take a bow a couple more things on that and you brought up the lake I'm so happy they put the stage where they did and when they first originally came up with the idea I was kind of like you know there's other spots where I think they could put it but then when I really started thinking about it and watching it on tv I always think the best view of downtown Cleveland is when you're on a boat on the lake and you're looking back or you're in the park looking at the rock hall back at the buildings. The best view of downtown Cleveland is not when you're driving up 71 or, uh, you know, 77 necessarily. Uh, the shoreways not so bad coming from the east, but the best shot of the skyscrapers and the city skyline is from the lake. And it really showed. Yeah, it showed you're right about that. And and I'll tell you what, I think I would have disagreed with you before the last week. Because there's something about looking at the lake and it's cool, you know, and we all feel different way, I think, when we're staring at this huge expanse of blue water that doesn't end. But having been down there and then watching it on TV, there is something about looking back and seeing downtown from that angle. And you see it when you go on the, you know, Good Time 3 or whatever. You know, you go on those. Yeah, um, <laughs> right. Both, right? And, and I, th I think you're right. And I think this, and I, and I think the whole draft drove it home. Um, and you're right about that. And I, and I would not have said the same thing before the last week. I don't want to touch too much on this, but this, this kind of hit me. Did you watch professional wrestling when you were younger? You know what? I was never a huge fan, but I watched it enough and I actually went to an event once. So I probably know yeah. what you're going to, I probably can relate to what you're saying. <laughs> Well, I just, I just think of Roger Goodell as Vince McMahon somewhat. <laughs> and, you know, his feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin and the way he utilized Macho Man Randy Savage and got these storylines and got the fans to, you know, hate him. And, and I almost feel like, you know, watching the NFL draft, it, it used to just be boring and not saying that it's like amazing television now. But it used to be so boring. You just, you know, you, you pick a guy, he walks up. But now we have, you know, couches and they're, they're having pumpkin heads sit there. And there's rock and roll bands and, you know, the bro hug. And when he comes out, he wants the booze. Like, he relishes it. I mean, I, and I say this kind of tongue in cheek, but do you know what I'm getting at? Like, he wants this to be an event where the, it's, it, it just, it struck me. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, from being a, pure football guy, right? I don't need all that other stuff. You know, I'm here for the draft picks. Um, I understand that that gets boring. It gets, 
you know, if I didn't have to write about the draft, I don't, I'm, I know that I could not sit in front of my TV for 15 hours and just watch guys talk about the picks <laughs> no. nonstop. Right. I mean, it's <laughs> impossible, but the league appreciates that enough that they add the other stuff that I was actually playing cards with my grandma yesterday. She's 92, never watched a draft in her life. And my uncle kept telling her, you have to watch it. It's in Cleveland. You have to watch it. So she did a little bit, you know, and she said it was actually watchable. And for the fact that nothing goes on except their name and people that she has no idea who's getting drafted and that she could sit through it for however long as she sat through it. I think that does speak to the NFL knows what it's doing when it puts on an event. And it doesn't matter if the events capped by the Super Bowl or the playoffs or the draft or whatever it is, they can put something, they can put a television event together that draws eyeballs. And, you know, we saw it with the, with the ratings again, you know, they were strong for, again, not to knock the draft, but an event where nothing happens, a ton of people turn <laughs> to watch. Yeah, we just reported this morning, uh, third best ratings ever, I think, right? right, right and right. Uh, so, and I know, I know my wife was into it. She's never watched that much of a draft. Now, part of that could be the Cleveland aspect, but there was something about it on, on Thursday night in that first round where it was like, it was, even if you wanted to turn it off, it was hard to turn off. There was a lot of great storylines. So it's a lot of fun. Last thing on the draft, because we got to get to the actual you know, meat and potatoes here. But how cool is it to have Bernie and Joe Thomas and uh, Landry up there and everyone cheering Bernie, Bernie. And, you know, I've always said that, uh, you know, in my lifetime, and I know you have LeBron James, but Bernie Kosar, <laughs> you could argue the most popular athlete in Cleveland history, at least in, in these last few decades. Yeah, it, that was cool. I did not know that was going to happen. So when they got up there, I thought that was cool. I mean, you know, you immediately tweeted out. Um, yeah, I didn't expect it. I thought it was cool. It reminds me not to throw anybody under the bus, but years ago I wrote just a line Browns legend, Bernie Kosar. didn't give it a second thought. And one of the big bosses, not the sports editor, but one of the big bosses at the paper circled it and said something like, you know, maybe we should wait a while before we call him a legend or maybe, I don't, I, you know, I don't know if he qualifies, whatever the phrasing was, was, I don't know if he wanted Bernie to, we can only call people that are dead legends. I don't know what point this guy was trying to make, but every time I've written Bernie since I thought, no, I'm pretty sure I can call him a legend. And every time I see the reaction he gets, um, <laughs> you know, it's not all about winning Super Bowls, right. To be a legend. Like he is a Browns slash Cleveland legend. Um, just, just for being Bernie. And for working his way here, and I mean, we all know the story. Um, yep. So I kind of chuckle when you say that because I, I don't know, and I don't know if a real Browns fan would argue, would ever argue against Bernie being a legend. The only person that could top it would be the quarterback that leads the Browns to a Super Bowl championship. <laughs> right? No, you're right. And you know, Bernie. I mean, we know we know Bernie's resume, and you know, he took him to the playoffs. He never won the Super Bowl. He never got to the Super Bowl. It was a short-lived career, but it goes beyond that when you talk about Bernie, right? It's not just playing career, right? I mean, he's not a Hall of Famer. Joe Thomas is a better player when you look at yeah. Hall of Fame careers, right? But that's not what makes Bernie – that's not the totality of what makes Bernie a legend. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. We could talk so much about it. All right, let's get to the draft. Overall thoughts of the draft. Uh, you know, they, they had a – uh, a to-do list and it, it appears that they checked off all the boxes. 
Yeah, I would agree. I, I would say before we get into the positives, if you're nitpicking, I would say no defensive end, which I thought they would take early. And maybe that's just because the draft fell a way that they didn't expect, right? And they took Jeremiah Wusu Kormo in the second round and they didn't think he'd be there and they might've taken a pass rusher then. Um, maybe they didn't love the pass rusher. It, well, actually, we knew they liked Newsom at 26. We knew they liked Wusu Kormo in the second round. So by the time they could have taken a pass rusher, we're talking deep into the third round and they probably just liked Anthony Schwartz, the receiver better. So I understand not taking a defensive end, um, but that was in the forefront of my mind. I think it also speaks to, they probably like Curtis Weaver, a guy they claimed off waivers a year ago. He was a Dolphins fifth round pick had a bunch of sacks at Boise state. It probably means I like him enough to say, okay, he can be our fourth defensive end rather than trying to bring a rookie in to fill that role. Um, and then they got two undersized linebackers and we'll talk more about those guys. And I just wonder if that's necessary. Although I think it speaks clearly to what Joe Woods, the coordinator wants his defense to be and wants that scheme to be. It reminds me a little bit of when they went out and paid big money for John Johnson, the third, the safety and free agency. Like, well, why would they do that when they have Grant Delpit and they have Ronnie Harrison? It just reinforces how much they value safeties, especially in this Joe Woods defense. And I think the, the back to, or the not back to back, but the two undersized linebackers that can run and play in space reinforces that. Um, but when we look overall, I like Greg Newsom a ton, Greg Newsom the second, a ton. I didn't think he would be there 26th. I mean, Chuck, we've talked about him before. And I yeah. started, I mean, I, you know, I'm a Northwestern guy, so I watched him play a bunch, right? I, I watched Northwestern every week. Um, and then I really got onto him as maybe he'll be there 26, right around his pro day, which was early March. Um, it felt like, hey, he's a guy that could be there. But then the more you read, the more you talked to people, it felt like maybe he wouldn't be there 26. So the fact that he was, was a surprise to me, not a surprise at all. Then the Browns would pounce on him, which they did. And they so needed you, a corner. There, you are all about them taking a cornerback. As we dissected last week, though, it was, it would have had to have been one of the top four. And we knew for sure two of them wouldn't be there. And you kind of guessed the other two wouldn't. So the fact that Newsom was there, it's a no brain pick, right? If he wasn't there, that's where you thought maybe then they would have traded. Exactly. That, no, that's exactly right. And I, I thought corner was such a need that they could not get out of the first two rounds without taking it. And to get it out of the way at number 26 with someone the Browns probably view as a third or fourth best, depending on where they ranked Newsom and Caleb Farley, uh, I think is a steal at 26. I think it was hugely important. It was, again, a spot where need matched how their board fell in that's crucial, and I think that's that happens when you do a good job in free agency and you kind of free yourself up to be able to target specific guys in specific positions. And then mm -hmm. you know, the JOK pick in the second round, I didn't think he'd be, he'd be there either. And, you know, maybe it was the medical concerns that some teams had. Um, we'll get into that a little bit. Um, maybe it's the fact that it's a linebacker, and there just aren't a lot of linebackers drafted highly these days. And I think the third fact is he is undersized, right? He's six, one and a half, 226 pounds, I think. Um, 
not the biggest guy. Doesn't fit every scheme. I don't think he can play him in a three, four because he's not a, uh, he wouldn't line up and he's not big enough to play outside. And if you line him up at one of the two inside spots, there's a lot of traffic in there. And he's a guy that's better in space and the Browns recognize that. And their defense is set up for that where there's just teams in the league where he does not fit. So I think all those things combined to him dropping enough for the Browns said, Hey, we can't pass this up. We're going to go against our overall philosophy of not trading up, right? We don't want to trade up because you got to give away picks, which they actually didn't have to give away picks. They just slid down, which was important to them. And I don't think they value linebacker a ton, even though Andrew Barry made some jokes about it. The fact is he's a special linebacker. And I think that's what we have to remember. The Browns have the rules, but they're also flexible. And if a player is special, whether it's linebacker, D-tackle, maybe even interior offensive lineman, they'll go against those rules. And I like that flexibility. I think you can't be so rigid that you won't go get a really good player at a position. And the fact is every position is important. There's just some that are more important than others. So that was the fans' choice. A lot of people wanted um, wanted him in the uh, first round of Wusu Koromora. Uh, and he, he falls and the Browns actually, they said afterwards, they thought about taking him there with, with pick 26. So the fact that they got him at 52, to me, it's kind of equal parts, scary and equal parts, exciting. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. And you do have to examine why he would have fallen. And, you know, the scheme football stuff, I think you could go, okay, well, that makes sense. But if you thought he would go as early as 16, and he winds up at 52, that's a little disconcerting. Now, uh, we saw the Adam Schefter tweet Monday about uh, a heart issue popped up, and then teams were able to say that it's not an issue, but he thinks that affected where he went in the draft, and teams have told him that. Well, Andrew Barry, you know, was asked, Andrew Barry and Paul DePodesta were asked after the draft and said, we're very comfortable with his health. Andrew Barry re-said that on the radio yesterday. Um, Wusu Koromo went on Jim Rome and said, there's never really been a heart issue. So, you know, my reading of the situation is there was something that showed up, right? But that happens to so many players. I think Quiddy Pay, the Michigan defensive end, had the same thing, where something shows up, it's a bit of a red flag, you go get double-checked or rechecked, and it turns out not to be anything, or at least not to be anything that, teams are concerned about. So, you know, it sounds to me like there's something there, but he's not worried about it. And the Browns aren't worried about it. And the fact is if the Browns were worried about it, they would not have taken him at number 52. So, you know, I I think they're overjoyed to get him. And I know they are, they're ecstatic to get him because you're right, Dave, they would have, I don't know if they would have taken him at 26, but they certainly would have considered him at 26 if Newsom wasn't there. Just want to clear something up real quick. You had mentioned, did you say they didn't have to give anything up to? They they traded their second round pick, so they swapped their fifty nine for fifty two. But then they also traded a third round pick, correct? Right, but they they didn't give up a pick. I think they traded the third round pick, but picked up a fourth rounder. It's all a blur. But I know that when that was over, they still had the same number of picks. They just weren't the same high. number, but. Yes. But they, but you give up a you give up a third and and get a fourth exactly round pick right okay right. which but and, Paul, Paul DePodesta made a point of saying 
We don't like to give up picks, and we didn't have to give up picks. All right, so he didn't give up picks. They just gave up a better pick, right. if you look at it that way. All right, exactly. but the other thing, too, is when you have two third-round picks, which they did, they were right next to each other. It makes it easier to do. So even though they went against their philosophy, they were in a position to do so, right, because they had the extra picks? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. They gave themselves the freedom to move around. And then on Saturday, they wound up trading one pick, so they wound up with eight picks instead of nine but they picked up an extra fourth rounder in 2022. And that was a goal of theirs. Which we talked about last week. We said that would probably happen, right? Okay. Uh, Let's talk about Anthony Schwartz. How about that video? Have you seen the video of him running the 40 or whatever it was? I I don't know what it was. I saw a video. I didn't read what what exactly the, the, um, what it was. Did you see that? How blazing fast he is? I'm not sure I saw the same one that you're talking about, but I've watched a bunch of videos of him. And then I talked to Gus Malzahn, his coach at Auburn. Now he's at Central Florida. I talked to him yesterday. And he just kept saying, wow. Like, I, would, I said, what was it like the first time you saw him run? He's like, there's a wow factor. And I said, do you ever, like, not get tired of it, but does it ever just still pop up, right? I mean, they were together for three years, I think, at Auburn. And he said, yeah. He goes, it's just something you don't get used to is that type of speed. And I wrote a story about it Sunday, just trying to just trying to convey how rare it is, right? Because we think of NFL players, they're all fast, right? They're all faster than us. And I think sometimes you lose track that there are different levels. And he's the fastest player on the Browns, right? He instantly becomes the fastest player on the Browns. And, and that's significant. And he was the fastest player in the draft, right? There's whatever 260 players get drafted and he's the fastest one so it's not just speed and we talk about sprinter speed and I'll, you know maybe i throw around that term too often um but he has sprinter olympic type speed and the thing about him is he's not just a track guy right we all remember well if you're old like me ronaldo nehemiah right was an olympic guy willie gall two olympic guys that tried to play in the nfl and had varying degrees of success this guy played college football. He was a huge big-time recruit coming out of um, high school. And I think he went to the same high school as Pat Sertan II. It was coached by Patrick Sertan. It's on my list of um, people to try to talk to. But was a big-time recruit. The point is he's not just a track guy. He's tough. He can run routes. He can catch the ball. Now, he's not extremely polished yet, but he's got more to him than just line up and run deep. I think you can give him the ball in the backfield. You can hand the ball to him on end of rounds, jet sweeps. You can throw bubble screens to him. He's tough with the ball in his hand. I really like the upside of this pick. And I'm sure we've talked about it, Dave. I felt that they needed another speed element, not just a deep speed element, a guy that can change things near the line. And I really think Anthony Schwartz can do that. Hold on to that speed comment for one second. I did not set you up well with that, but now I can because I, I had a text from a buddy uh, who sent it to me. And it's, uh, I can't stop watching this video of Anthony Schwartz's 40. Doesn't even look real. And that was uh, something my buddy saw on Twitter. It was Jordan Zerm. Okay. Uh, so if you could go take a look at that, it is pretty incredible how fast he is. So anyone listening right now, Jordan Zerm, 
go ahead and uh, look at that. His 40 time. I mean, unbelievable. It, it, it is incredible. So that leads me to my next point. If I were to pick two main topics and not really dissect the draft necessarily like really deep, but if I just had two headlines and I said, Hey Scott, the Browns really did a good job, a drafting for speed and B going for defense as opposed to offense last year. Would, would you say those are two of the highlights? I would, I would probably throw in versatility just because, you know, they think that, um, Awusu Karamoa and Tony Fields and, you know, even Schwartz can return kicks and Felton, uh, Demetric Felton, the seventh round pick is kind of a receiver or running back slash receiver slash kick returner. Um, so I, I think I would throw in versatility, but I would lead with speed and I'm glad you brought up defense Doug, because you can't ignore it. And we talked about how that was the focus of free agency and, they added six guys and six important pieces on the defensive side in free agency. And then they just kept that theme going with the Newsom and Wusu Koromoa picks. And they could have nine new starters on defense, right? And I'm going to write about this at some point. Um, I'm sure I'll write about it a billion times before the season. But that's, that's remarkable to take a playoff team and go right. nine new guys on defense. Now, part of that's injury. You know, Grant Delpit's coming back, maybe Greedy Williams. Um, part of it was they had a lot of guys signed to one-year contracts a year ago. But the overhaul, it speaks to Andrew Barry seeing a need and addressing it. He said the plan two years ago was, hey, we're, we have to focus on offense first. And that's what they did in the 2020 offseason. And then we'll get around to defense. And that's what they did. And – I just think the first two draft picks, and I think it was, it was five out of eight overall draft picks, but the first two really drove that point home is not only the defense, but if you just single in on the secondary, right? Greg Newsom is new. Troy Hill is new. John Johnson III is new. Grant Delpit can be new. Greedy Williams can be new. I mean, that's a bunch of new faces and guys that are have big-time talent, right? We're either free agent signings or – first or second round draft picks. Um, and then that's not even including, you know, Rusu Koromoa at the linebacker spot. So yeah, that to me, when we take a step back and look at the last two months, right. Starting with free agency, it's all about defense. And, and I think that's why people are so excited because we saw what the offense could do a year ago and it kind of carried the defense, right. There were times last year, we looked at the defense and said, the Browns are going to need to score 38 today to have a chance. Well, we, sh we don't feel the same way, right? I don't think fans feel the same way. The defense should, should be much improved. Boy, I just think back to all those years where it's like you did 38 points seem like a, a, a dream. Right, right, right. <laughs> so uh, before we put the draft to bed, Saturday is always an interesting day because you wonder how many guys they can really get out that are going to be big impact guys in the future. But I, you've mentioned a bunch of them throughout your analysis here. But uh, before we put it to bed, uh, how should we look at the players drafted on Saturday? Is there anyone you really want to focus on? Anyone that you think really could impact this team down the line? Yeah. Um, well, you know what? I'll, I'll, let's talk about Tommy Togiai, the Ohio State defensive tackle. Uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, he's an Ohio State guy, and the Browns 
for whatever reason, haven't drafted a ton of Ohio State guys in, since they've been back. You know, I mean, you can pick and choose. Denzel Ward, obviously, a couple of years ago, number four. But there's been plenty of drafts where the Buckeyes had, you know, 10 guys drafted and the Browns didn't get any of them. And it was kind of a head scratcher. And so they get. It really was. Yeah. So they get Tommy Togiai. And, and just in a bigger picture, you look at defensive tackle, right? And you draft him, you sign Malik McDowell, the guy with the troubled background, former second round pick, has not played a snap in the league. They sign him Monday. They signed Marvin Wilson from Florida State, an undrafted free agent, that they spent a bunch of money to win the bidding war after the draft. They signed veteran Damian Square yesterday. Um, There's another D tackles that they signed right before they cut Sheldon Richardson. Um, And all of this is to say the odds keep getting longer and longer that Sheldon Richardson is coming back. And once they cut him, when they did in April to save Sailor Cap space, I didn't think he was going to come back. I know there's some people holding out hope. Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry both said on the radio yesterday that the door's open and they'd love to have him back. But they're doing everything. All their moves signal to me that they don't expect that to happen. And either do I because I just think the pay cut would be too big for Sheldon to come back. So Togi is another guy that steps into that rotation with Billings and with Malik Jackson. And with Jordan Elliott, and then maybe Malik McDowell, and then these two veterans that you sign, and Marvin Wilson. All of a sudden, there's a lot of competition for, is it four or five spots at D-tackle, right? And I think the Browns have said, okay, we have plenty of contingencies plans if Sheldon doesn't come back, and we don't expect him to come back, so we needed to do this. Um, So that's why Togiai kind of stands out to me. Uh, Felton the running back slash receiver out of UCLA is intriguing because you can line them up in the slot. And that's another area that I thought the Browns could get better at. Um, he's another return option with Schwartz. I was going to say Felton could be a return option, yeah. right? Yeah. And, you know, when we talk about, I got asked this in my mailbag the other day after the draft, which veterans are in trouble to make the roster in the first two that jumped to my mind were Mac Wilson at linebacker. I mean, all of a sudden, that's a really crowded room, and you're only going to play two a bunch. You got Awusu Koromoa, you got Anthony Walker, you re-signed Malcolm Smith, you drafted Jacob Phillips in the third round, you draft Tony Fields, and you have Sione Takitaki, who played better than Mac Wilson a year ago. So, you know, I think Mac Wilson's in deep trouble. And the other guy is Jojo Natson. You know, the Browns re-signed him, and I'm sure he'll show up at training camp and they'll give him a shot, but if Schwartz and or Felton prove that they can return kicks and punts, uh, I just don't think there's a spot for Jojo Nets. Looking at the uh, press conference afterwards, I, I have I didn't get a chance to listen to the whole thing. I know you did. But the one thing that kind of stands out to me was uh, Stefanski was asked how well the Browns executed the team's initial plans heading into the draft. And I want to read the answer just because I, I love the answer because it's I mean, it's kind of true, right? I mean, said Andrew and the crew did a great job. We stayed true to the board and let the process play out. Andrew talked about it earlier, but there are 32 teams tonight that are going to celebrate the draft class, and they're all going to be very excited. We are excited because we stayed true to the process, but we have to let this this thing play out. We will see over the course of years how we did. Certainly, Andrew was outstanding setting the board, conducting these meetings, and then staying true to the board over these rounds. I, 
I, I, I got to appreciate that quote. Yeah, for sure. And I think if you, if you know Andrew Barry and Paul De Podesta, that sounds about right, that there is a really strong plan in place. There are overriding philosophies. It, they, they think out everything, right? And not just because they're Harvard, you know, Harvard guys, um, but that's who they are. And there's an analytical approach, not analytics, but an analytical approach to how you do this. And, you know, he was asked, you know, does Andrew Barry ever wing it? And he's like, no, it's not Andrew Barry. You're right. He's not a wing it kind of guy. And that's different than a guy like John Dorsey, right? There's some instinct to John Dorsey, right? Some gut moves, I think, that John Dorsey would make that Andrew Barry and Paul DePodesta would not. And that's not even to say one's necessarily better than the other, but I do think over the long term, having the right processes in place matter. And I think it sets you up for success. That's the biggest thing. It sets you up, right? We can, I think we can all agree, you're better off having more draft picks than fewer draft picks. And that's a philosophy. So that means you're better off. That means you prefer to trade down than trade up because you acquire more picks and the draft over a long period of time shows you that there's a crapshoot element to it. So you're better off having extra picks and the Browns appreciate that. Now we talked about, they're flexible enough to go against that philosophy for the right in the right situation for the right player. But if you go big picture, yes, this is what we believe in. We believe cornerback and defensive end are more important than linebacker. Like I think you need to have these general principles and they do. And I think, they pay off in the long run. Now, what the Browns still need to prove, because we're only one draft, we're, you know, only one draft and four days in, is do the players that they pick, are they the right players? And are the schemes they choose to run the right schemes? Now, I don't have any doubt about Kevin Stefanski's scheme on offense. We've seen it. We've seen it from other coaches. It's a great scheme. Joe Woods, we still need to see it. And we did not get to see the scheme he wants to run a year ago because of injuries and a lack of talent. So we still need to see if that's the, if that scheme is the right scheme to take your team deep into the playoffs into the Super Bowl. Um, even if it is, then you have to get the right players and it comes down to player A versus player B. And last year, Jedrick Wills was a pick and I think Jedrick Wills will be fine, but they took him ahead of Tristan worse. Right? So that's when it comes down to executing the plan. And when it comes down to scouting and talent evaluation. Now, you know, is JOK the best pick at 52? Everybody thinks so now, but eventually we'll go back and we'll look and we'll say, okay, was he a better pick than whatever defensive end the Browns could have gotten there? You know, uh, or whatever the yeah. next, right? Or whatever the next linebacker they could have taken, Nick Bolton out of Missouri. Could they have taken him there and that would have been a better pick? Right. Eventually, that's how you evaluate the talent evaluators. But having said that, the process and the plan and sticking to their board, I don't think we're ever going to have an issue with that. It's going to come down to do they pick the right player? And the fact is, you don't always have to get the right player, but you're better off if you do. You know, I mean, processes and guys, teams miss, guys miss. So, you can't just get hung up on one person, but when we start to get a bigger sample size and a track record from Andrew Barry's GM, then I think you can say, okay, 
what level of what level of front office do the Browns have? Can they get to the Ravens who seem to consistently make really good draft picks? And we just haven't seen enough to kind of crown Andrew Barry. Last thing for me, just want to hit McDowell one more time. And I always get a little nervous because of all the drama we've seen in Berea. And I feel like that's one thing they've kind of gotten rid of. And we haven't been dealing with that drama and clearly winning helps with that. Do you get a little nervous when you bring a guy like this in who has a, uh, a shady pass, Scott? It makes me a little bit yeah. nervous. Yeah. Yeah. My first reaction is why is it necessary to do that? Everything's going so well. You're getting such good publicity. Uh, why take this gamble? Um, the, and, and I, you have to admit, Dave, you're exactly right. It's colored by the fact that we remember all the dysfunction. We remember the Antonio Calories getting drafted and then getting arrested and not being any good, right? Um, and he's just the first example that pops into my head, and there's a bunch. You take chances on guys, they backfire, um, they have run-ins with the law, and it becomes a black eye for the organization. But I think that Andrew Barry and company have earned a little bit of benefit of the, benefit of the doubt. I think the roster is strong enough where you're not relying on this guy. It's, it's strictly a flyer. If he works out, great. If he doesn't, we can cut him tomorrow, and it doesn't affect our team at all. So I, I think there's something to be said for that. I, I wonder if, you know, I don't know if I've, I'm not ready to say I trust Andrew Barry that, um, you know, he can look in and he, I know he did research on McDowell. Um, it, it, I think it's yet to be proved whether or not that research is correct, right? Will he walk the straight and narrow? Has he really committed to turning his life around? Andrew Barry will tell you yes. And they wouldn't have taken this, risk if they didn't believe that and you know people there's a second chances and what have you so I kind of understand the pick because there's not a huge downside to it and there's a pretty big upside but I, I'm with you Dave my first reaction is why and I kind of flash back to previous regimes that have made similar moves to backfire in Barry, we trust, and a big night for him on uh, the, the first night of the draft. Uh, you know, you, you draft a new player for the Brownies, but in the morning, you, you have your uh, your first daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I mean. What a crazy, what a crazy. I mean, we're complaining how tired we are from working the draft. I think he said he was at the <laughs> hospital like two o'clock in the morning Thursday, and then probably didn't go to bed until two o'clock in the morning Friday. Um, obviously, he's you know, thrilled to have the daughter, but that's, that's a big, that's a big monkey wrench thrown into your draft weekend. If you're the GM. <laughs> I, I, yeah, no doubt. Uh, but congratulations their third child and uh, excited about that. So uh, that's it for uh, me, Scott. Uh, it's again, great talking with you and I uh, hope Browns fans are enjoying this. Cause boy, I'll tell you, I know, uh, can't wait for the season. We don't want to wish summer away, but uh, can't wait for the season. Yeah, I got a lot of golf to play before we get to the season, Chud, but I hear what you're saying, and I, I know the excitement level is already through the roof and will continue to be. Um, well, I'll, Hopefully, we'll be back for another one of these next week. The schedule comes out next Wednesday night, so 
maybe we can figure out a way to do a quick schedule podcast next Thursday. Um, I'm actually gonna be on vacation, but I think I might be able to carve in some time if we want to talk schedule. So we'll see if we can work that out. If not, we'll do it the week after. Um, and I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about. We'll have a rookie mini camp going on next weekend, the 14th through the 16th. So um, a lot, I'm sure there'll be a lot to talk about again, but I'm glad we were able to do this and go over the draft. So thanks everybody for listening to the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot.